Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome inside Fizz Radio. I'm Matt Bonaparte alongside Jeremy. We've got an action-packed show for you here on this Saturday morning. Now, we're recording on Thursday, so we won't have a recap of SU's football game with Louisville. But you can go listen to our Fizz Final podcast on SoundCloud or on our website to see what we have to say about it. For this show today, though, we've got Elijah Hughes NBA draft content, Jim Beheim's COVID diagnosis, and the program on pause. We're going to go through some preseason awards for this SU basketball team, an offensive MVP, Defensive MVP, most improved and best newcomer. And then we'll get to Fictional Fizz, where I'll give you some fictional uh, betting lines. And, of course, Fizz feedback. Jaron, are you pumped? I am so pumped. I think you could even say I was born pumped. (laughs) All right, we'll hop right into it. First, (laughs) 39th overall pick in the NBA draft was Elijah Hughes. Now, he was picked by the New Orleans Pelicans, but that was traded to the Utah Jazz. So he'll find himself over in the great state of Utah. Jaron, what kind of fit do you think Elijah Hughes brings to that team? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start with this. I think Eli fits really well with the Jazz. Now, when I was looking at um, the draft board before it actually happened, did I think that the Jazz were going to be ultimately his final destination? No. I actually thought that he was going to go to the team that drafted him. I thought he was going to the Pelicans with that specific pick. Um but they ultimately trade him away. Now, my shift switches over to the Jazz. Does he fit? And the answer is yes, because when you think about what Elijah Hughes is going to be in the NBA, he's not going to be a star. He's not going to be an all-star. He's not going to be the go-to guy that gives you the last-second bucket to win the game at the end, which is what he did at Syracuse. But in the NBA, he's not going to be that guy. He's going to be a role player, bench player, 3-and-D type of player. And when you look at Utah... They love to shoot the ball. They were top 10 in the league in three-point attempts last season, and they were number one in the entire NBA with 38% from beyond the arc. So they shoot the best from beyond the arc. They love to jack up threes, and that's exactly what Elijah Hughes can add to an NBA team. I think he's a really good fit for the Jazz. I absolutely agree with you, Jaron. When I thought about what kind of player he would be, I thought of like a a Terrence Ross type, maybe a Corey Brewer type of player. Uh, And I I agree with you that I think he's a great fit on the Utah Jazz just because they're, you mentioned how much they love to score. 18th in scoring last year in the NBA. This team loves to score the ball and they love to do it with jump shots, like you said. So I think Elijah really... Uh, will prove to be a valuable asset to have when you can go deep into a bench in a game that you need to win and you can find a shooter like him. A guy who's also been in a situation where he's had to be the lead player on a team. He was on the Syracuse team last year that wasn't the most talented this program has ever had, and he dragged them close to 20 wins. So you have that going for you when you have a guy like Elijah on the bench. He's got a leadership factor as well as a really great hot hand. Now, the the other thing that at least what I was talking about, Matt, and I I agree with what you have, but you got to look on the other side of the ball. We've both been talking about offense. Defense is definitely an issue, and it's an issue with all Syracuse players coming out of college because, well, Jim Beheim plays a 2-3 zone, and you just don't see that in the NBA. So the big question mark for Elijah Hughes, and scouts were saying this leading up to the draft, can he play NBA caliber defense? man-to-man defense. 
When you look at the Jazz, they were solid in defense last year. Again, number 10 in the in, in the league in opponent points per game. They only allowed basically 109 points per game, which is tied in 10th. Um, so that's solid. I mean, that's good. But it's also because they have the best defensive player in the entire league. Um, so with Rudy Gobert behind Elijah Hughes... I think that's extremely helpful, and this is basically my point. Even if Eli isn't the best D kind of guy, as in the 3 and D, he'll be okay because the the Jazz have such a strong defensive performance already and a lot of guys that can play great defense that even if Eli's a little drop-off, he will still fit in this, in this system and his extra offensive ability will be able to make up for his defensive lacking, which we don't even know. Maybe he is a great man-to-man def- defender, but right now you don't know that about him. And, and Elijah was never really known for his uh, defensive qualities while on the hill, but here's what here's my evidence to why I don't Decent think it's going to be— yeah, here's my evidence to why I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue sure. in a transition. There have been other guys who have made the transition and made it well. You talk about uh, a Syracuse grad like Jeremy Grant. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a guy known for his interior defense in the NBA, and he's a valuable asset because of it. He played that 2-3 zone just like Hughes did, so I don't think it's going to be that much of a difficulty for him to try and transition from playing the zone to playing man-to-man. And don't forget that Hughes didn't even start his career in Syracuse. He was down in Eastern Carolina where they played man-to-man. So he, he you know, he's played man-to-man in his career. He also played high school ball. So I don't think it's going to be that difficult for him to make that transition. Right. And again, this is Fizz Radio. Jaron May here with Matt Bonaparte. And Matt, uh, the defense is definitely a worry. I don't think it's a huge worry, and that's why I, th- I think this 3 and D type of situation out in Utah will help him. And also, I know we were talking about this before the show, Utah doesn't have too much depth at the small forward position, and that could offer Hughes a really good opportunity to be able to get some playing time probably this upcoming year. Yeah, I absolutely think that he's going to see the floor. I mean, I, Hughes isn't some kind of guy who you draft late, or it was early in the second round, and you don't really expect him to see the floor. He'll have to try. You know, he's going to have to, he's going to, have to make the team, but he's a talented basketball player, and I think everybody knew that coming into this draft. He might be a little undersized at 6'6", playing small forward, but he'll get the job done because he's a great player. I don't think that he's going to have that much of a difficulty in terms of offensive skills. Defense we talked about might be a little bit different, but I think he could definitely be a valuable asset down down the road and, and a guy that you can rely on to make a shot in a clutch situation. Right. Uh, when you look at this, the Utah basically depth chart, but also when you look at their actual contracts, You think Elijah Hughes is going to be a small forward in the NBA. Now, he might be a little undersized, but he doesn't really have the ball skills to be a true shooting guard because basically what the NBA has turned into is a point guard and shooting guard equals just two point guards. Like, you have to be able to dribble the ball and have the ball skills as a point guard if you're going to be a shooting guard. And right now, maybe that can change, but Elijah doesn't really show those type of skills. He's okay with the ball. He's not great. So you think, all right, he's going to be a small forward. Really, after Joe Ingles, there's just a group of of just kind of no ones that Elijah Hughes could easily battle with, if not win, um, that third small forward position, which probably puts him 
at the eight or ninth, probably more ninth guy off the bench, maybe 10th. But either way, that means that you're on the NBA roster. That means that you're not having to go back and forth between the G League and the NBA. And if that's ultimately what Elijah Hughes can pull out of this first rookie year and maybe his sophomore year too, I think that's a win. If he can stay on the active roster in the NBA, that's a W, and then you just work your way up from there. And I think something that he's definitely looking forward to is learning from a lot of the veterans on this team. I mean, you've got Mike Conley at point guard and, of course, the upcoming superstar in Donovan Mitchell at shooting guard. There's a lot to learn here, and I think if he can absorb that, he'll stay on this roster like you mentioned. And hopefully he can have a long NBA career like we've seen some other Syracuse guys do. Right, and I think... Hughes kind of reminds me not a lot or not a ton but definitely a little bit of Donovan Mitchell and how he likes to play he likes to have the ball in his hands he likes to make his own shot it's not really a pick and pop type of guy and I think that he could vibe really well with Mitchell because Mitchell also has the passing abilities to be able to find Hughes and be able to distribute that ball so you pair him up with Mitchell you also have like you said the veteran the smart the guy that will mentor Hughes um, in Mike Conley and it's really a really good fit for Hughes. I would also like to point this out that Hughes is going to be coming off the bench. It's not like he's going to be a day one starter. I don't think he'll be a season one starter at all. But if he comes off the bench, what he's best at is making his own shots. He was number one in the ACC this past year in scoring in isolation. Now, that's partly because Syracuse's offense was just heavily reliant on him making his own opportunities, but if he's able to do that and replicate it in the NBA, that's going to be super helpful because you got to, when you think about who's valuable off the bench, it's the guy that can come in and immediately help you by themselves. You want someone that can carry the load and you don't have to keep the starters in there. You don't have to keep your star in there to be able to pick up their dead weight. And Elijah Hughes is a guy that can carry his own weight. And, you know, he's also a guy that's going to know and play his role. He's going to play under a coach. He's going to ask, what can I do to help this team? He's not going to sit there and say, you have to play me the way I want to be played. Instead, he's going to be a team player. He's going to come off the floor or he's going to get onto the floor when he gets on and he's going to make a difference when he's on there. Mm -hmm. And that's what you heard from scouts leading up to the NBA draft. A lot of scouts, a lot of coaches, a lot of teams were impressed with his ability to interview, his ability to learn, his ability to be um, basically open to all ideas. And you've seen, I mean, you and I have seen that just interacting with him um, as media members. Hughes is a fantastic, fantastic guy. I mean, I would say he's a better human than he is a basketball player. Just an awesome guy, awesome guy to talk to. Uh, I think Utah got an absolute absolute steal. I did not think that he was going to drop that far in the draft. And, I mean, if you see him in the low 30s and it almost, almost got to the 40s, you got to pick him up. It was a smart move by the Jazz to... I'm not sure if they coerced uh, the Pelicans to trade him over or if that was a set plan, but um, a smart move by the Jazz to be able to pick up Hughes at 39. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May here on The Score 1260. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz and hop on our website for more coverage. On the other side of the break, we'll be talking Jim Beheim's COVID diagnosis and the program on pause. Stay locked.
Welcome back to Fizz Radio with Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May. Jaron, back on November 15th, Coach Jim Beheim was announced that he was diagnosed with COVID-19. And the program was ultimately put on pause. Now, this causes a couple things for this team. They're going to lose a lot of practice time, but also it begs a couple questions about Bayheim for the season going forward. What are your takes on this? Yeah, I have a couple takes. I'll start off with this. First and foremost, we at the Fizz and everyone uh, around the nation is obviously rooting for Beheim. I mean, he's been saying that he's asymptomatic, he's okay. Um, We hope that he is able to return in full health and is completely okay. He just celebrated his 76th birthday this past week. Kind of a crappy way to celebrate, um, but that does bring up the point that He's getting up there in age, and this has obviously been well-documented throughout his time at Syracuse. I mean, over 44 years with the program uh, going into his 45th. So basically what I I think should happen this year— now, do I think this actually happens? No. But what I think should happen, and I'm going to preface it with should, I don't think Jim Beheim should be going to away games. I don't think the risk of traveling, going to other communities, uh, going to other college campuses specifically because college campuses have really been hot spots for uh, the coronavirus since schools have restarted. Uh, I don't think that it's smart for him to travel because it's only going to put him at high risk and getting it, I mean, getting past COVID-19 as a 76-year-old one time is going to be difficult. If he contracts it a second time with already, I mean, you'd assume the the virus uh, affects you and depletes your lung uh, capabilities and that type of stuff. If he gets it a second time, that's going to be really bad. And just from a human standpoint, you obviously want him to be as healthy and just safe as possible. So my take is his personal health is more important than winning basketball games. Now, he might not see it that way, and he might not really worry about the risks. That's my take. I think he should only be coaching at home um, and allow his assistants to coach on the road. So you're saying that he, he would have no part in coaching on the road? Well, I mean, he can zoom in for pregame meetings. He can zoom in for whatever it may be. He can be on the phone with Adrian Autry during the game if, or, and during halftime if need be. Um, but I don't think he should be getting on the plane and going to these away games. I think that'll... I mean, I, obviously, I, I'd also... I, I wish Coach Beheim a speedy recovery, and I want to make sure he's as healthy as possible. But I think that's going to make a huge detriment to this team. I don't think that... They're going to be nearly as good without him on the sideline. Um, he, he He's a guy that is proven to be one of the greatest coaches in college basketball history. Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, uh, a national championship winner. This guy knows basketball inside and out. I don't think that this team will be the same without him. I think Coach Red and Coach McNamara are both incredible at their jobs they, they know what this team needs and they do a good job of getting out of these players what's required for victories but coach Beheim is the engine that runs this this Syracuse basketball vehicle so without him on the sideline I, I just don't think it's the same team as of right now okay so I disagree um I think Adrian Autry the associate head coach um is 
well on his way to becoming a actual head coach at a big D1 program. I think that if Bayheim was to retire today, it would either be him or Jerry McNamara, probably Autry. Um, so I think that Autry could do a very, very solid job if he was to take over the reins for away games. I think that Jerry McNamara would do a very good job with taking over the reins. Now, are they going to do as good as Bayheim? Probably not. However, I would like to challenge you, and maybe you have a different opinion on this, Matt, but how much does Jim Beheim do on the sidelines in a game? Because at least when I watch, all he does is scream at his players, and it doesn't seem like it's much proactive teaching. When the teaching actually happens, it's a player gets pulled out because Beheim is is mad and it screams at him. And then once he cools down, Autry or McNamara or Alan Griffin go over to the player and kind of coach him up and tell him, hey, this is what should have happened. This is what you should have done. I think losing that hot temper of Jim Beheim on the sideline, now it could inspire some players. I don't think it's that big of a loss. I think it's a gigantic loss. I mean, you're talking about this guy like he isn't one of the greatest coaches in college basketball no, 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 he history. Is. No, 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 no. He absolutely is. But what does he do on the sideline in a game that Adrian Autry couldn't? He's, he is analyzing the game throughout. He's making sure his players are playing the zone correctly. Hey, running his offense the way he'd like it to go. And when he does, when they don't do that, he gets on him about it. That's what makes Beheim one of the best coaches in the country. I, I think that... He's always watching. That's when you, you see a, a classic jacket toss or a classic hand-on-mouth thinking while he's looking at the ground. That's an absolute classic Bayheim stance. <laughs> um, I mean, he's always watching. He's always making sure his players are playing the right way. And when he pl- and when those players play the way he wants them to, they win games. And, and that's just evident of the success Syracuse has had. Um, and here's the other thing. With a roster that might not be the most talented he's ever had, and one with a lot of newcomers on it, I think it's more important than it ever has been that he's with the team at all times to teach guys like Frank Anselm uh, and Chaz Owens and Alan Griffin how to play the zone and how to how to run that offense the way he'd like it to. He, he talked uh, in, in the well, preseason. Matt, Matt, the thing is, he's not going to be without the team the entire season. I mean... They go on away trips for like two days. You go down, you play your game, you come right back. Jim Beheim's still going to be at practice. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be with the I team. I know. I'm the just saying season. I think it's important that he watches them play. And I understand. I, I think it'll it'll be more detrimental in the moment. I think that they'll they could lose they could potentially lose games because of it. And this team can't afford that with it with one that has a lot of newcomers on it and and one that. Well, maybe isn't the most talented. I mean, I, I'd challenge the newcomers. They have four returning starters. Really, Alan Griffin and Kadari Richmond are going to be the two new players that actually see game time. I think the other freshmen and the other transfers and the other whoever uh, walk-on players, they're not really going to be seeing the floor. So I don't, I don't think that it's going to be that big of a detriment for newcomers. I think they'll be okay. The away games... Do they lose because Jim Beheim's not there? Maybe one. Maybe two, I think. I think your tops at two because, again, I have a lot of faith in Adrian Autry. He's been with the program since 2011. He's coached up a lot of players that have gone to the NBA. He's had a lot of success um, at his position, and he has been at the right hand of Jim Beheim 
throughout all of those years. So he knows exactly what Jim Beheim is thinking and can replicate it for the handful of away games that they have this year. Listen, you can agree with it or not. That's just my take because I don't want to see Jim Beheim contract COVID-19 like he has right now again, and that put his overall health in danger. Because again, his human health is way more important than winning or losing a couple basketball games. Well, we, we at least we agree there. Um, I also want to make sure Coach Beheim stays as healthy as possible. So whatever that means is, is what I'm here for. Okay. Uh, let's pivot a little bit and talk about how the program is currently on pause. So since Coach Beheim did contract COVID-19, the program has not been practicing. They haven't really been together since. What do you think that means for this team running into the, to the beginning of the season, which is in less than a week? Yeah, or it's a little de- bit more than a week. It's definitely difficult. Um, I mean, it's coming up this upcoming Friday, um, right? the Friday right after Thanksgiving. It's a 3 o'clock game against Bryant inside the Dome. It's definitely difficult. I mean, the one thing that Syracuse has on its side is that, at least in my opinion, and maybe you not you don't share this, I think they have a lot of experience. Um, you return Buddy Beheim, you return Joe Girard, you return Marek Dolajai, Barama Sidibe, Quincy Garrier. I mean, those are six of your, or rather, five of your seven rotation players that are going to play this year. The other two are Alan Griffin, who's been with the program for a couple months, um, and Kadari Richmond, which Jim Beheim, who has been raving about, and it seems like he's been doing pretty good in practice. So yeah, you lose a week, maybe two. We don't know when this is going to end, but it's definitely, it's definitely a deterrent. The one thing that Syracuse has on its side, or rather the two, because experience, but also they don't start with that tough of an opponent. I mean, Bryant, it, it doesn't send chills down my spine. No, they don't start with that tough of an opponent, you're correct, and, and they usually don't. Um, so you should expect a Syracuse win, but you, you really never know, uh, especially with a team with a lot of new faces like we've talked about and a lot of just younger players in general. You talk about uh, Quincy Garrier, Buddy Bayheim, Joe Girard all returning. A lot of those guys are still young, though. That's the thing. I mean, you've you've got Quincy Garrier and Joe Girard who are, who are both sophomores coming into this season. Um, so that's what you're kind of looking at there. But at the same time, I think that that it's going to be a victory for Syracuse. But do you think it's going to change something going through the season, or do you think they'll be fine after game one? No, I mean, listen, like losing a week of practice is never good. No one's going to be like, hey, can we take a week of practice off right before our opener? Like, that's that's (laughs) never going to be a positive thing. But I think Syracuse can roll with the punch, can get past Bryant. It's The Bulldogs are not that uh, scary. And then the, the the good thing that they have right after is they have over a week. I mean, if I do my math correctly, it's basically a week and a half. So they play on November 27th, and then they play Rutgers December 8th. So that's a little over a week and a half, almost two weeks. Um, that's really helpful to be able to have that time off to whether it be Jim Beheim is still in quarantine and that gives him some extra time to come back or that just gives you some extra uh, practice days to be able to prepare for a tougher opponent in Rutgers and then getting into the ACC slate. Um, but, I mean, it's it stinks. It's not the end of the world. 
All right, uh, I like that take, and I, I I happen to agree. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May on the score twelve sixty. Make sure you go follow us at Orange Fizz on Twitter and our website at Orange Fizz. When we come back, we'll be talking about some preseason awards. We'll be dishing out. Stay on the score twelve sixty. Back here on Fizz Radio with Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May. We're recording on Thursday today, so we won't have a full recap of football. But you can go listen to our Fizz Final podcast on SoundCloud or on our website to see what we have to say about it. Jaron, let's hop right into our preseason SU Basketball Awards. We're going to go through Offensive MVP, Defensive MVP, Most Improved Player, and Newcomer. I'm very interested to see what you have for your Offensive MVP, so please take it away. (laughs) <laughs> well, Matt, I like how we, whenever we are on here on Fizz Radio, we love to do uh, the awards. We handed we out the midseason football awards. Now we got the preseason basketball awards. All right. Uh, I digress. Let's get into the offensive MVP. Um, I'm going to go Buddy Bayheim here. And there was actually a couple polls from a couple different media publications for Syracuse Athletics these past couple weeks um, about who's going to be the leading scorer on this team. Now, if you go just by last year, the leading scorer, obviously, Elijah Hughes with 19 points per game. He led the entire ACC. Next was Buddy Bayheim with 15.3, and then you go to Joe Girard, 12, uh, Marek Dolajai, 10, Quincy Garrier, 7. So if you go based off that logic, and it's pretty, I would say, weak and solid or, or lame kind of logic, you'd choose Buddy. And I'm going to go with that logic. <laughs> I don't care that it's weak. I think Buddy Beheim is going to be the best scorer on this team. I think he's going to be pretty much turning into the next Elijah Hughes. Now, he's not going to be the same type of player. He's not going to have the same type of output. But he's going to be his name is going to be called on more, kind of like Elijah Hughes was. So um, I'm going Buddy with my offensive MVP. I think Buddy's the safe choice here. I think he's definitely a lock for a guy who's going to get a lot more touches, a lot more shots. Mm -hmm. But that's not going to be the choice I make. Here I'm going Joe Girard, and here's why. I think Joe Girard, I mean, you have to look at his freshman season and take it for what it is. A freshman season, 12 points a game as a freshman in the ACC is pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. So I think that he's a guy who's going to make a huge jump this year and, and turn into one of the the stars of the Syracuse team. And, you know, when coming in, he got a lot of comps to now Syracuse coach and, and former Syracuse basketball legend Jerry McNamara. He, I don't know if he'll get to that level where he's just knocking down threes from the logo, but Gerard is definitely a guy I see who's going to be running this offense a little bit more. We saw him take a lot of shots last year. He had that 30-point game against NC State in which uh, Elijah got hurt. He only shot one for 10 from behind the arc that game. He called it the worst 30-point performance of his career. I think Gerard's going to take a huge step up this year. He's going to get a little bit more confidence in his game, get that shot down, and hopefully become the offensive MVP for this team. And they're going to need one now with Elijah Hughes gone. So- yeah, and the the one thing I want to say before we move over to the defensive side of things, the offense, Alan Griffin is going to be really good, um, but the offense is going to need more than just one player. Like Elijah Hughes was the guy last year. 
they don't have, at least in my opinion, Syracuse offensively no, doesn't have a guy. Have a guy. Like, they don't have that one guy. So they're going to need, it's kind of be basically, often, you could say offensive MVP by committee. Like, you're going to need two to three guys on a consistent basis, whether that be Buddy, Joe, Allen. I think those are the three big names that are really going to carry the offense. Uh, you're going to need them to be consistent and not like last year where it was like either Buddy Bayheim goes off or Elijah Hughes went off. They never had two, they never, they, they both did not have good games in the same game. You're going to need that this year with all three of those guys, all three of those guys, because you don't have uh, Elijah Hughes this year that can carry the offense. I absolutely agree. It's going to be offense by committee, and I think those two guys will be Gerard and Beheim. Let's yeah. hop over to the other side of the ball, Jaron. Give me your defensive MVP for Syracuse this season. Uh, this one's pretty easy. I think he's the overall team MVP as well, um, if I could put a label on it. I'm going Marek Dolajai. Um, listen, he just out-hustles everyone. So when you think about who deserves to be a defensive MVP— it's not going to be, and especially in a 2-3 zone, it's very difficult to pick out who's the best player. It's kind of more of a system type of thing. But Dolajai is really good with defensive boards. Uh, he was, uh, checking this out, third on the team in defensive rebounds last year. Elijah Hughes was number two, um, and now he's gone. Barama Sidibe, obviously, who plays the middle, was number one. So Sidibe probably get more defensive rebounds. However, Marek Dolezal is going to be right up there with him. And then when you think about steals and when you think about causing turnovers and just wreaking havoc and blocking shots, that's Marek Dolezal because he just tries harder than anybody else. He is always the one that's first on the ground for a loose ball. He gets in the passing lanes. He's quick, especially on those wings, that he can jump a jump a route and kind of get that interception, basically, if you want to put it in football terms. And then he's also tall enough and quick enough to be able to block a couple shots here and there. He was second on the team in blocks last season. So Marek Dolezal is my defensive MVP Um on the wing because I think he can do, he's a multifaceted defensive player. I'll join you in taking Dolajai for, uh, for the defensive MVP for this gotcha. team. I think the only other guy you really could take might be Quincy Garrier just because he's so I athletic. I thought about him. Yeah, he's so athletic, and he's probably the best rebounder the team has to offer, so he's, he's ferocious down there under the glass. But Dolajai, like you mentioned, is the guy who's going to give it his all every time he's on the floor. Immediately when I saw this, I, was, I immediately thought of Zion just barreling over him. Uh, back when they played Duke a couple years ago, and he he drew that charge. He he'll he's got the grit, he's got the defense. He averages about a steal a game and a block per game, like you mentioned. I think it's got to be Dolajai for for the defensive MVP as well. Yeah, and Sidibe I think maybe gets honorable mention in there. I think he and uh, Quincy Garrier have an opportunity to fight for that top defensive MVP spot. Um, I love what Sidibe did at towards the end of last season. Obviously, the beginning was worrisome, and his fouling, just constant fouling, is definitely a problem. Uh, but if he can clean that up, I mean, Brahma could definitely be a good defensive player at the middle of that 2-3 zone. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May here on the score 1260. Going over some preseason awards for SU basketball. Let's hop into the next two. Most improved player, Jaron, who do you got? Uh, I'm going to go Quincy Garrier on this one. I think that he has an opportunity 
to work his way into, and this might be crazy to think, he has a way to work his way, or uh, an opportunity to work his way into the starting lineup. Now, you'd think the starting lineup is pretty darn set. Joe Girard at your one, Betty Bayheim your two. Uh, Alan Griffin, the newcomer, is going to be your three. And then Marek Dolajai and, Quincy, and Barama Sidibe. I think against some teams, not all teams, but against some teams, Jim Beheim could say, hey, let's run small. Let's put Marek Dolajai at the five, which he's done before. Quincy Garrier at the four. And then you have your three uh, smaller guys that are going to be your consistent starters. So Quincy Garrier showed some flashes um, last season. I think he could be even better. And there were reports last year that he was going through an injury throughout the entire year. He was uh, leaving games and going home and crying himself to sleep, which sounds horrible. But if he's now fixed, I mean, he had surgery. He's now feeling okay. If he doesn't have to deal with that and he was still a solid player last year, this the sky's the limit really for him. To be consistent, I think I've got to take Gerard here. Okay. He, He's going to be the most improved player because he's going to have to be. Like we mentioned before, Elijah Hughes leaves kind of a vacuum of power with this team. And for him to come up with Buddy Beheim and be a, a, a fill-in for that offensive output, he's going to have to be the most improved player this season. That doesn't mean he's going to come in and average 20 points and 7 assists a game and be one of the best players in the country or anything. But Gerard will definitely be a guy who you can count on for a big three. You can count on to put in at least 15 points in any game and give you a bucket down the floor because that's what you could count on for Elijah to do. And a tandem of him and Buddy Bayheim could do possibly the same thing. So I think Gerard has to be the most improved player on this team this season So in, in order for Syracuse to win games. And if you just, I mean, I'll, I'll help you out here, Matt. If Gerard just, in, I mean, his numbers last year, 12 points per game and just about three and a half assists per game. Those are numbers that are very easy to surpass for him because he's going to have the ball in his Absolutely. hands way more. So, yeah, I mean, I like that put, that pick. Joe Girard uh, both could and probably should be the most improved. I'm still going to go Quincy, though, just, just to change it up. Let's get to the last one. It's going to be the best newcomer. Jaron, please tell me who you've got. <laughs> um, I'm going to go Alan Griffin. I don't think that there's an argument for anyone else. Maybe you could say Kadari Richmond, um, especially with the way that people are hyping him up within the program and sources um, are coming out with reports. So, yeah, maybe Kadari Richmond. I just think Alan Griffin is going to be a really important player that's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He was one of the best players in the entire NCAA with when you look at his like actual in-depth numbers, like his points per 20 minutes and that type of stuff. When he had the ball, he scored. He was a shooter. He was able to expand his offensive repertoire and I he came to Syracuse to be able to expand it even more I think that the orange will give him an opportunity and I think Alan Griffin flourishes um, in this offense this upcoming year 
I agree. I, I have to go with Alan Griffin as well. Nearly nine points a game at Illinois last year. He, he's going to be a valuable a- asset for this offense and defense. And here's the other thing. He's a great story. Guy's got basketball in his blood. His dad, Adrian, is an assistant coach for the Raptors. His younger brother, AJ, is a top 10 recruit in the class of 2021. He's already committed to go play for Coach K at Duke. And his sister, Aubrey, just finished her first season playing for Geno at UConn. So this guy knows basketball <laughs> inside and out. Uh, I think he's definitely going to be a huge asset for Syracuse and one that comes in and makes an immediate impact, which is what you want in a transfer. Yeah, and think about just, and we'll leave it on this, Matt, think about the the shooting ability for this Syracuse offense from deep when you have Joe Girard, Buddy Bayheim, and Alan Griffin, who's a sharpshooter by himself. You pair all three of those guys up, that's a dangerous offense right there. Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May here on the score 1260. On the other side of the break, we'll give you fictional Fizz betting lines as well as Fizz feedback. Keep it locked. Back here on Fizz Radio with Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May. Just a reminder, we're recording on Thursday, so we won't have a recap of football. But you can go listen to our Fizz Final podcast on SoundCloud or our website to see what we have to say about it. Let's hop right into our fictional Fizz lines, Jaron. The first one I've got for you is Syracuse wins, and I've set it at 15.5. Do you go over or are you going under? All right, so Syracuse men's basketball this year has 24 games uh, currently. They might add some more, but I don't really see that happening, especially with, um, you know, this season coming up in less than a week. I think that the ACC is down this year, and Syracuse was projected number six in the preseason poll. Um, I think that's pretty true. And if they, if I take the over, which is what I'm going to do, that means that they would go. Uh, 16 and 8 do I think that they can win two-thirds of their games I'm gonna say yes so I'm gonna take the over um on this fictional fizz line because their schedule isn't horrible um they do play the top teams away but they don't have to play the top teams twice except for North Carolina they have a home and home against UNC but then when they play Virginia and they play Duke and they play Florida State they only have to face them once um, so if you drop those, you drop those. I think that they go right around that 16 and eight mark. And I think that they're okay. I think that they could even do better than 16 and eight. Um, so give me the over. Sadly, I'm going to be a little bit more pessimistic than you. I, th- I think that this team who won 18 games last season got a lot worse with, with the exit of Bryson Goodine and Jalen Carey and Elijah Hughes. I, I think they lost a lot of talent there, and I don't think they exactly plugged the holes that they needed to to get back to that Alan rate. Griffin and Kadari Richmond? I think Kadari Richmond and Alan Griffin are good players, but I don't think they're good enough to be able to to, to fill those gaps and, and, and stop that vacuum of power. Uh, yeah, because Jalen Carey definitely did a lot last year. <laughs> Uh, well, Bryson Goodine did. He won a, He hit a game winner against Wake Forest. Don't forget yeah, can about you name that. Anything, can you name anything else he did? I think uh, he transferred to Providence. I know he did that. <laughs> um, I think this Syracuse team lands at about 14, 13, or 15 wins. I don't think that they cracked 16, and I don't really think that they have that much success. But I think it's a building block season and one that gets this team ready and a little bit older, heading into a senior season for Buddy Bayheim, junior seasons for Garrier and Gerard. Hopefully they can make a little bit more of a charge there. Okay. The next line is we got a 
hastily move along here. Joe Girard and Buddy Bayheim combined points per game. Last year, Bayheim had around 17, Girard around 12. I'm setting this line at a combined 35.5 points per game. Ooh, that is a good line right there. Uh, if you divide 30, uh, let's say 36 to take the over, that means that they both have to average 18. That is a very very difficult mark to hit for both of them to be able to do that. Elijah Hughes led the ACC with 19 points per game. So give me the under. I think they're both going to hit right around maybe one of them at like 17 and a half, one of them at like 16, 15 and a half. And I think both of those numbers are really good for both of those players. Uh, but I don't see them both averaging eight, at least 18 points. So I can't take the over. I'm going to take the under. I think this depends on what kind of player Joe Girard is this season. If he facilitates an offense and he's able to score as well and gets Buddy behind the shots he needs, I think they hit that over easily, but I don't really think he does that. So I think I'm also going to take the under. They'll end up around 17 each maybe. We'll put them at 34. Like I think that's tops. Right. Um, right. These guys tops. are good players, and I think they're going to get better, but not enough to get 35 and a half. On to our last line. It's Alan Griffin's minutes. This line is going to be set at 27 and a half. I'm going to take Thanks the over game. here. I'm going to yeah, I'm going to take the over here. I think Griffin kind of steps into that Hughes role. Now he's not going to average the 37 minutes per game that Hughes had, but he will definitely hit over 27. I think he's more around 30 to 32 minutes. So, and you know Jim Beheim loves a a short rotation. So, um give me the over there. It depends where he falls into the lineup and if he does become one of this team's starters, You'll see him get up Which around 35 minutes. I remember when Tyus Battle averaged over 40 minutes a game because he played every single minute of the season, including overtime. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I think definitely it's going to be over. All right, let's head over to Fizz Feedback on Twitter. We gave you a couple polls. You answered them. First one, where do you think Elijah Hughes will be picked in tonight's NBA draft? Now we know that he was 39th overall. And 30 to 40 was the top answer. Jaron... I mean, that was that was kind of obvious, I thought. I think he was going to be a, uh, an early second-round pick. How about you? Yeah, I definitely had him in the early second round. There were some reports saying that he could go late first um, if an experienced team wanted an older guy. But being at 22 years old, he was kind of on the older side of, of recruits. So um, I also voted 30-40, to 40, and obviously that, that panned out to be true. Luis Cinquino said Sixers take him at 36. Not quite close. close. But pretty close. Uh, the next one, where will Syracuse men's basketball finish in the ACC? Top three, four through six, seven through 10, or 11 through 15. The top answer was four through six. I think seven through 10. I don't think they're going to have that great of a season. Yeah, you're definitely a little more pessimistic. I'm going to be more optimistic. I voted four through six. I think that they're at least at six. If not, they could crack the top five. And Good for you. Uh, who will be Syracuse men's basketball's MVP this season? Gerard, Beheim, Griffin, or Dolajai? I'm a Dolajai guy, but Gerard was the number one answer, and it looks like the Fizzers are, uh, are expecting him to have a great season. Yeah, I had Dolajai, um, but a very even vote here on this Fizz Feedback. Last one on Fizz Feedback. Would you like to see Syracuse basketball bring in Jimmy Beheim as a transfer? This one was a tie, Jaron. 41% hell yes and eh, why not? What do you think? 
I mean, I'm hell yeah. I mean, he can. He's better than your bench players right now. So why not bring him in? I, I, I tend to agree. Get a little uh, familial atmosphere. Yeah, make it a family affair. Family. <laughs> Absolutely. That's all the time we have on Orange Fizz Radio. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been Matt Bonaparte and Jaron May.